0: Well, good morning. How is everyone this morning? Wonderful. Hope you all had a wonderful Christmas with family. And ate way too much. And then took a good nap. We didn't do the nap part, but we did all the other part. And it was good. Today we continue our series in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 23. Matthew chapter 2 verses 13 through 23. If you would stand in honor of God's word. It says now when they had departed behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said rise. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, And took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we've heard the reading of your word. We have sung your word this morning, Lord, and we now just want to spend some time in prayer, asking you to open our eyes to what you would have before us this morning to apply it to our hearts, we, we don't want to walk away just hearing your word, Lord. We want to also do your word. So help us, by your Holy Spirit, to understand all that we are reading and seeing in this text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. During this uh, past year's summer's, this past summer's youth camp, I challenged all the youth that if they would memorize 1 John chapter 1, I would take them and buy anything that they, they wanted to do as a group. And there was a few youth that did this, and so I bought the tickets. They decided they wanted to go to Holiday World. So I bought the tickets, and we went and had just a wonderful day. But, but on the way there, they, they kept playing some game and on the way back. And that game was, every time a song would come on, they would try to guess who the artist of the song was and and the song title. And each correct answer was one point. And they were pretty good. And each time they they just heard just one or two notes, they'd be connected to, to the whole song and to the author. Some of you might be asking, What does this have to do with this text? Well, Matthew in this passage, he's recording for us three different scenes. And at the end of each scene, he explains, this is to fulfill scripture. And just like the girls, when they heard the first few notes of a song, Matthew, he's only going to quote a couple verses, but we too should be connected to the whole of Scripture and to the author of the Scripture. We should hear the whole Old Testament ringing this morning that this is the child promised in Genesis 3.15. This is is the one who is uh, the rightful king. This is the one anointed by God. And this is the fulfillment of all of Scripture. This morning's Title. I've titled this morning's sermon, A Christmas Harmony. And we're going to consider three things that Christmas reminds us of. And the key theme I think you'll see throughout this passage is, Despite opposition from the powers of darkness through worldly means, God the Father providentially preserves and guides His Son through divine means. He does this through his Holy Spirit, he does this through his word, and he does this through sending his angelic host. So the first thing that Christmas reminds us of, one on your outline, is the Lord's pursuit of the unfaithful. God preserving his son, he sends an angel, he says, rise, flee, Herod is going to destroy him. And Joseph immediately grabs a child and Mary, and they head for their 90-mile journey to Egypt, which seems like a strange place to send him for safety. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But Matthew tells us this was to fulfill what the, the Lord has spoken by the pro- prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And the prophet being quoted, and some of your Bibles will tell you if you look at the bottom, is Hosea. And this is from Hosea chapter 11. And if you look at Hosea, it's not recalling, it's not some future uh, prophetic uh, uh, message that he's calling out. He's actually, in the context, looking back to the Exodus. And this is key for us In understanding this passage is what God is teaching us through Matthew. But let me say before we we move forward, we must be a people who read the Old Testament. Because without it, we would never properly understand who this Jesus is. We would never properly understand what sin is, why we need a Savior, we need to be a people who read all of God's Word because it, it is God-breathed and for our instructions. But Matthew here, he considers, th- considering the birth of Jesus, he sees a pattern filled with notes from the Old Testament. The first note is this fleeing to Egypt. This note rings back to Genesis 37-50 through on how God's people ended up in Egypt. It's talking about a different Joseph here, but he was the son of Jacob who would later be renamed to Israel, and he was the son of Rachel. This was Jacob's favorite wife. We'll talk more about her in a minute. And Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and he made him a coat, a robe of many colors, and this infuriated his brothers. So they sent out to kill him. And they thought, no, we probably shouldn't do that. So they put him in a pit. And then some Ishmaelites come by and they said, why kill him? We can make money off him. So let's sell him. And they sell him and he goes to Egypt. And through many trials and even some jail time, we see that it was repeated that God made everything he did to succeed. And what happens is while he's in jail, he ends up, um, interpreting a dream for Pharaoh. And he said, there's going to be a famine. And Pharaoh said, okay, I'm going to make you second in charge, and you're going to take care of this famine. And so he did. And it was through this famine that reunited Joseph with his brothers. His, and his father, Jacob, came with them, And later, Jacob would die. And his brothers get scared, and they come to him, and we, we get this verse in Genesis fifty twenty that tells us why they ended up in Egypt in the first place. It says, w- Joseph explained to them, What you meant for evil against me, God meant for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. And so we see this, this through this great opposition that God providentially preserved his people by sending Joseph to Egypt. And when Matthew wrote this, his, his hearers would be reminded of their history. And, and, and it's not just history, this is redemptive history. God's plan to, to save a people for himself through his son. And this son, this child, Jesus Christ, he's going to come, he's going to identify with the people of God. And just like God sent Israel to Egypt, God sends his son to Egypt. And so we see this note, this fleeing to Egypt. But then we see this second note, this furious egomaniac. Look at verse 13 and verses 16 through 17. Herod's about to search for the child. And he thinks that these magi, they've tricked him. So it says in verse 16 that he he became furious. And Herod, we have to understand, he was a, a ruthless man. He was married, some guess, around 10 wives. He murdered at least one of them, maybe more. They estimate that he had three of his children killed. And he just had a lot of family members killed as well. But Augustus Caesar once said it was better to be Herod's pig than to be his child. And near the end of his life, this is such a ruthless man, he ordered that that prominent Jewish leaders be killed just so that the mourning would be loud on the day of his death. And his, his henchmen didn't carry out that order, but just the fact that he that he would order that, shows you his pride, shows you that this is a, an egomaniac. And, and when we hear this, it, it, it should connect us back to what happened to God's people after Joseph. At the beginning of Exodus, it says that Joseph and his brothers have now died. And there's a new king, there's a new Pharaoh, and he's scared of Israel. They keep growing in size, so he orders all the male children under two to be killed. And but God would preserve Moses, he kept them safe, and he even led them, led them to Pharaoh's home. Another strange place to lead a child. The very guy who sent out the order to kill him is the place where God sent him. And one day, as Moses would grow up and he'd get older, he, he witnessed an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew, and he, he killed the Egyptian. And a Hebrew saw him, and he had to flee. And as he fled, he was gone for a while. God called him back to Egypt to rescue his people. And he was called to go and tell Pharaoh a specific message. God told Moses to tell Pharaoh in Exodus 4.22, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And Pharaoh would reply in Exodus 5 when Moses did this, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Hear the pride of Pharaoh. Hear the pride of Herod. It reminds me of Psalm 2, where it says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. But verse 4 says, And he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. You know, God was not shaken by these furious egomaniacs. And guess what? He's not shaken by the furious egomaniacs today either. His plan will be accomplished. And though they set their minds and their decrees against him, he will preserve his people even when it seems like strange places. And this leads to C on your outline. Faithfulness explained. By quoting Hosea 11.1, 1, that says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew is connecting for us that God through Jesus is inaugurating a new exodus. In the Old Testament, we just read that Israel is called metaphorically the son of God. But now that title, Son of God, it's, it's given to a, a single person. And throughout the Old Testament, God would, he would deliver his people repeatedly, but they would reject him. If you turn to uh, Hosea 11 and just keep reading the chapter in verse 2, right after the, the quote that we read earlier, it, it says, The more they were called, the more they went away. And and if you keep reading the chapter, but it says that God loved them and he was like a father to them and he taught them how to walk and and he fed them. In verse 7, but my people are bent on turning from me. God was angry at them. He had every reason to destroy them. But despite Israel's rejection, God chose not to destroy him, destroy them. Listen to verses 8 and 9. Listen to the love, this fatherly love on display. He says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. Rather, he sent a child. One who would lay down his life as a sacrifice, taking on the full wrath of God. Jesus is the true Israel who is faithful, who will not reject his father's instructions. And he is inaugurating here a new exodus in which he will lead God's people out of slavery to sin and into the promised land. And this is faithfulness and a reminder for us this Christmas season That God keeps his covenant despite his people's rejection of him. And all of us have rejected him. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if you are in Christ this morning, see how by God's grace he pursued us. He rescued us from slavery. And he imputed into us the faithfulness of his son. This is what we should remember this Christmas. Secondly we should see the Lord's provision for the unconsolable. This is in verses 16 through 18. This is where Herod feels like he's tricked and he, he sends off the word to, to kill the male children. In this section of scripture, it, it's sometimes called the slaughter of the innocent. Herod, the, the furious egomaniac, he, he sought to kill the child and he put male children to death two years or younger. And, and the estimates are between 15 the 30 male children were executed at this time. And Matthew tells us this is a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, verse 15. And the first note we should hear is Israel's pain. The prophet is talking about a time when God's people were sent into exile. The Babylonians, they had came and they attacked Jerusalem and they, they destroyed all the homes, they destroyed all the cities, and then they, they took the people to a place called Rama, And this is where they would put them into caravans and they would scatter these people all over the place. You can imagine the pain of being ripped away from your family. You can imagine the loud uh, crying out for your family as you're being ripped away and taken into a foreign land and this is the scene that Matthew the scene in Herod in Matthew 2 Matthew connects this with this Jeremiah 31 scene this going into exile this crying out this loud screaming and it's Rachel weeping for her children Remember, Rachel was the favorite wife of Jacob we just talked about. And and she was childless for many years, but she would eventually give birth to two sons, Joseph, who we talked about earlier, and to Benjamin. And she died giving birth to Benjamin near Ramah. So when Jeremiah speaks of Rachel, he's, he's speaking of her symbolically as the mother of God's people. She was known throughout the Old Testament as the, the sorrowful mother. And as Jerusalem walked through Ramah to, to exile, he pictures her alive in the tomb, crying. And it's, it's kind of like she's saying... Because you have to remember, they're going into exile because they've rejected God over and over and over again. So God, to, to break them from their idolatry, sends them there into exile for 70 years. And it's almost like Rachel's weeping, saying, Is this what I died for? Did I give my life up for you, Benjamin, to disobey God and to go into exile? And and at this moment, if you take this picture, there is absolutely zero hope. Israel is weeping. There's no hope. She even says she's crying. She will not. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But this verse also leads us to another note. Israel's promise the book of Jeremiah is filled with sorrow but chapter 31 is not the chapter in which verse 15 was quoted from is is not located in a sorrowful chapter it's actually a chapter of great hope and if you would read the next verses in 16 and 17 It says, Thus says the Lord, right after this picture of of Rachel weeping, Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is a hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. And if you keep reading, it tells us how that's going to happen, which is titled, The New Covenant, The Promise of a New Covenant. Listen to these words closely. This is what God is speaking to Jeremiah. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant... And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The Lord is promising hope and a return from exile. And, and Matthew, seeing this, this present pain with the, the house of Israel as Herod is executing these babies, he looks back to this time when God's children were in pain, heading into exile, and he connects them for us as God pro- promised hope and the end of the exile, and he says, this fulfills that. Although there's great reason to mourn, and there is real pain, there is real tragedy, there is real hope. And because, and this is key, the child Jesus has escaped. He is alive. He will bring an end to this exile. He'll bring hope in the midst of hurt. And oh, although there is death, he will bring life. He is the new king, the end of the exile and the inauguration of a new covenant. It is here. And though these mothers, they shed their tears for Bethlehem, he will shed tears of blood. And he, at the second coming, will restore all things. And and there's this beautiful promise, and he will wipe away every tear. That is the hope of Christmas. That is whom we're worshiping this morning. And the question is, do you know this Jesus? Jesus. Do you have this hope? And I pray that the answer to that question is yes. But for many, we do have this hope, we do have this Jesus, but if we're honest with ourselves, we we have to admit that this year has been pretty hard. And I don't want to minimize that at all because Scripture doesn't minimize that at all. We've either lost loved ones or we have in years past. And just this time of year, we just, we just kind of remember those things a little bit more. We've had bad diagnoses or we know people with bad diagnoses. And there's just been this uncertainty All year. Hear me this morning. In the midst of the sorrow, God has provided joy. See the hope that laid down his life so that we can receive this joy. And maybe by God's grace, we can say, as the Apostle Paul says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time, They're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. There is a glory that outshines all of these sufferings. See the provision that God has given this morning, see his pursuit of the unfaithful. And then, third thing that Christmas reminds us of is the Lord's plan. It is unbelievable. Herod dies, verses 19 through 23. Herod dies. The Lord appears to Joseph in a dream to call him back to Israel. This continues the, the divine persevering of, and guiding of his son. And if you read it, we see that Archelaus, who is Herod's son, who is just as evil as Herod, he's now reigning over Judea. In place of his father Herod. And so. Being warned in another dream. dream Joseph. Goes to Nazareth. And he settles down. In place called Nazareth. And this was to fulfill what the prophets. Had spoken that he shall be called. A Nazarene. And the question I keep having. When I'm reading this text. Is. Couldn't God. Who is sovereign over all things made it just a little bit easier on his son you know he's moving around they didn't have planes they didn't have cars they didn't have caravans They're traveling by donkey couldn't god just just uh, gave his son a a peaceful king a good king maybe he wouldn't have to travel so much and the answer is and this is key for our understanding, is Christ's trials were a part of God's plan. Let me say that a different way. God ordained the trials in Jesus' life. We see this, that these aren't random accidents. These are fulfilling what was already prophesied. The plan of salvation is utterly unbelievable Apart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Paul would even write about this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's, he says, for the word of the cross, it's, it's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, so what is God then, through Matthew, trying to teach us? When he, when he writes it, this was spoken by the prophets, that the prophets might be fulfilled. If you look at your reference to see where this verse is quoted from the Old Testament, you'll find this isn't a verse in the Old Testament. That's why he uses the word prophets, plural. And so the the prophets, that's a pretty big category. And so because of that, there's a lot of different views on this and I'm not going to go into all of them. You can go research them for yourself. But what I am going to do is just try to lay out some of what the prophets were telling us. A, that this Messiah would be a scorned king. You didn't want to be from Nazareth. In the Gospel of John, Nathaniel heard that Jesus was from Nazareth. He asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's like when I tell people in Louisville or Owensboro, hey, I'm from McQuady, and they're like, What? What is McQuady? <laughs> so I, I go to the church at, at Corinth. That's a horrible name for a church in a in the Bible. I say, Yeah, that's true. But can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazarenes, they were they were generally just despised and 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 this idea, this is the idea, this, this scorn, it's all over the prophets. Probably the most famous one is Isaiah in chapter 53. He says he had no form or majesty. Well, that's a different... Let me just turn there. Isaiah 53, you can turn there too. Verses 2 through 4. Here we go. It says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, Smitten by God and afflicted. Hear these verses. This is the one who was to come. This is the promised Messiah. And I think this is what Matthew's getting at in this this picture. That this child, this true king, he's going to be rejected by the world. And sometimes when I read this, I go, well, I, I didn't reject him. Herod and Archelaus, they rejected him. I don't know, sometimes I do this, maybe you do this as well, when I read these stories, David and Goliath, or Cain and Abel, or I think I'm the hero in the story. And I like to pretend that I'm the hero in the story. But when I'm honest with who I was before Christ, I was never the hero Apart from the grace of God, I am Herod. I am Archelaus. I try to destroy him. I am that furious egomaniac. And that leads us to the 3B on your outline. He would have to be a slaughtered king. He has come to give himself as a sacrifice for those who have rejected him. Right after Isaiah says, "We esteemed him not," in verse, look at verse 5 if you're still in Isaiah 53. It says, "But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and and with his wounds, we are healed. See, it was the Father's will to craft his Son and his human nature into the divine, suffering, self denying servant by bringing these trials and sufferings into his life. His eyes were on the cross even at his birth. And this plan is just utterly unbelievable, apart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God. See, He pursued us when we were unfaithful. He provided for us when we were unconsolable. And He opened our eyes to see His plan, even when it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that teaches us that this, this story of Christmas is not something that happened 2,000 years ago with a baby in a manger. God is still pursuing those who are unfaithful. He does this through His Spirit. He does this through the proclamation of His Word. And maybe you're here today and and your eyes are being opened for the first time to this unbelievable plan. I praise God for that. I'd love to talk with you more about that right after the service. And to us who who have believed, I think this passage, it, it teaches us, to trust God's providential gu- guidance in our lives, and to simply persevere in obeying his word. Look back at Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19 says, But when Herod dies, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Okay? That seems pretty insignificant. But it's not look at verse 13 when the angel is saying rise take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt remain there until I tell you Joseph did that he obeyed the Lord he remained there that's what verse 19 is showing us he's still there when the angel comes back he obeyed he listened to God and although this year has been h- hard and full of trials and suffering, remember that God's son's life was in his hands the entire time. From his conception to his birth to his infancy to his temptations in the wilderness. I think sometimes we forget it, or at least minimize the providence in, in, of God over all of life. Sometimes we get anxious about this Or that news story. Or this or that election. And and yet all of it is in God's control. And although he might take us through the valley of the shadow of death. He does it all for his glory. And he does it all for our good. To make us into the image of his son. God the father preserved his son's life through all sorts of adversity. And guess what? That's our Father too. He will preserve us through all sorts of adversity. He will send his word. He will send his angelic host if he needs to. He will keep us. And I think if we're just needing some hope this Christmas, as we get ready for this New Year's, hear this Christmas harmony, see the father's care for the son and be comforted that that, guy, that same father adopted us as sons and daughters. And so we see that this Christmas is so much more than than our presents and our gatherings. And those are good, and and I'm I'm good with all those. Those are good. We should be grateful for those. But this Christmas is about God continuing to fulfill all that He has promised. He will bring it about. So find comfort in God's providential care. And then let us be a people who are grateful and hopeful This coming up year. Let's pray. Father as we come to you this morning. Father I just pray that you give us hope. Like only you can do. Let us be comforted by whatever season we're in. Whether that's trials or sufferings. Whether everything's going smoothly. Let us persevere. Let us look to you. Let us not rest in our own self. Father as I. I think about how you pursued me. Lord I did not deserve your grace. And yet you chose to save me. I thank you for that. That you pursued this unfaithful boy, and you provided your son to take my place, Lord. I pray for anybody in here today that that are asking, "What shall I do with the message of this gospel?" Lord, I pray that they would repent. Turn away from their sin and turn to you, trusting in your son Jesus as Lord this morning. Lord, that would be the greatest Christmas gift they will ever receive. A gift that lasts for all eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.